Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The London games are done and dusted for 2019 as the Texans made the Jags look like pussycats. We'll be looking at the case for Wembley, Tottenham or both. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Did the Packers party too hard in LA only to be crushed by the Chargers? And, oh, chestnut alert, the articles about London-bound teams are back with the Chargers, the latest to be linked with London. We'll be chatting over all of our Week 9 highlights. We'll be sharing your thoughts on our weekly awards, but we'll be skipping that, instead focusing on our mid-season MVP. And before we hit Week 10, we open the NFL Scotland oven to reveal which teams are already cooked. As ever, we'll finish up with some of the latest news hitting the league. To kick off, though, we'll look back at the London games. And Cameron, as you were at Wembley on Sunday, your thoughts on the Texans against the Jags. So let's start with the game itself, um, which was, for me, going into it, the one I was actually most excited about. Because of the context of it being a competitive division, because it was Minshew Mania coming up against One-Eyed Watson, uh, the Texans in full steam, a really tight division. I thought this could be a high-scoring thriller. Uh, yeah, It was n- neither high-scoring nor thrilling, I don't think. A defensive uh, masterclass, I think, in the first half really you know not a lot of points scored at all neither quarterback having much success uh, both teams sort of making it down to the to red zone but not doing anything after that and it went in at the half thinking right do you know what this needs to open up a little bit unfortunately when it did open up it opened up purely on one side and if you're a Texans fan do you know what you enjoyed every single second of it because uh, Watson got into his groove uh, you saw Hopkins doing particularly well you saw Carlos Hyde come half of an inch away from scoring a touchdown just to see the ball ripped out from him. Uh, Duke Johnson chipping in as well. And defensively, they looked really good. McKinney and friend of the pod, Whitney Merciless, looked superb. So th- there was a lot of positives to take out the game. Really good crowd, uh, a good solid atmosphere. You know, there was. It's probably the most flags I've seen waved at any game uh, was the one observation that I took. When the shout-out was wave your flags, it really felt like a lot of the stadium were waving the free flags that they gave you. Quite often, that doesn't happen. And it didn't happen at Tottenham. Um, However, I think that the atmosphere at Spurs was substantially better than the atmosphere at Wembley. See, I was going to ask you about that because I think a lot of it is down to the teams that are there and the fan bases that they bring and, and the state of the game. You know, it's very, very hard. I mean, I've been now to Wembley and I've been to Tottenham. And if you said to me, which stadium would you go back to? I'd say Wembley because of the practical side, it's easier to get to. There's much more around it. There's more space around it. Uh, I love the stadium itself. I think it's a tremendous stadium. And I think there is a pretty good atmosphere. Spurs is terrific as well. I mean, it is a proper NFL-grade stadium. You can't complain at that. And it was a terrific venue. Uh, I like them both, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lazy in many ways. And it's just easier to get to Wembley. Uh, yes, I would agree. It's so much easier to get to Wembley. Uh, this time was the first time that I actually stayed at Wembley. So I was in a hotel right next to the stadium. And that made a huge difference to my own experience off the weekend. What it meant was after the game, rather than stand in that ridiculously non-moving queue to get to the tube, um, because if you leave Wembley late, you do get stuck in that for a while. Spurs, you've got to walk a long way and then you still get stuck in the queue at the other end, which makes that whole experience that little bit more annoying. With Wembley, though, they've now added more 
things around the area. So you've got the box park, which is a huge area for fans lucky enough to get in there. There's huge screens. There's uh, bars and things like that. There's now a number of hotels in that area as well. So there's a load of people staying there that can go back to the hotel. We ended in the Holiday Inn. We ended up going back to the Holiday Inn to watch Red Zone and the later games because the TVs all there were showing it, which was great. Um, the the sound wasn't up, but you know I'm I, I'm not an idiot when it comes to televisions. I could find the little button underneath and I turned up the the audio myself. So there was a few people <laughs> around by us enjoying that, uh, and and that was fine for me. I, the one the one observation I would make is I agree with you. I think that Wembley's the the better experience all round, and it's perhaps unfair on Wembley to do this, but having been in Spurs and seen that nice fancy new stadium and everything that's been set up purely with sort of fan interaction in mind for getting food, for getting drink and things like that, Wembley now is a little feels a little bit dated and perhaps a little bit lacking. Also, the price of a pint was substantially higher at Wembley. You're talking £7 a pint for a, a, a nasty pint of bud. So it's over a pound, uh, over a pound a pint more uh, at Wembley for a lager that's about... This, well, it's not as good as the ones in Spurs. Um, the, the way that it's set up as well, obviously this pour from the bottom up thing and hit and miss, uh, but it felt faster. It felt like Spurs was better prepared. I spent less time missing the game because I was in a queue at Tottenham than I did at Wembley. So that would maybe be the one thing that Spurs is sort of set up. There's fewer people in that stadium as well, so they can deal with it a little bit better. Um, I do think, though, for atmosphere, I think the noise in Spurs, the way that that stadium's designed, the, the noise around the stadium carries an awful lot better. And whilst Wembley has been designed to be sort of atmospheric, I think that's possibly only going to work if you've got a whole group of fans singing in unison, and that doesn't really happen at the NFL. So it didn't feel as loud. It didn't feel as uh, sort of intimidating at points when where fans are be uh, booing or cheering on third downs and things like that. It felt like on third downs, because you've got that neutral crowd there, it really wasn't putting Deshaun Watson off all that much when the Jags fans were, were booing and cheering on third downs. So I think Spurs is maybe slightly better from that side of things. But... Do you know what? They're both cracking stadiums. And I think, personally, they should look to continue to use both of them. See, I agree with you. I mean, as I say, I've got a slight personal preference for Wembley, but if the Saints were to go to play at Tottenham, I wouldn't be unhappy. You know, I'm not unhappy at Tottenham. I think it is a terrific stadium. You know, there's a lot to be said for it. As you say, the acoustics are something special. Uh, I sampled hospitality. It was cheaper. Uh, it wasn't as good because... It, it was cheaper in terms of the actual what you got, but, you know, bang for your buck, it was probably just as good. So it'll be interesting to see where this leads. And hopefully, as you say, they can continue to use both of them and we will see how it goes. And the thing is, you can plan any game you like. You're not guaranteed a good game. And that's that's the problem. You know, you can go to any game in the Scottish Premier League, the English Premier League, any any game you go to, you're not guaranteed a good game simply because it's been brought over from the States. So we'll just see where, where things start to go. But certainly glad you enjoyed your weekend. And rumours had it that you hit while you were on a night out uh, the bullseye in the dartboard and got yourself a tequila. <laughs> yes. Um, went along to Liz, NFL Girl UK's uh, social event that she organised at Flight Club, which is a social darts thing that they do in London. If you're down, go along and give it a go because it's great fun. Absolutely brilliant. So the, I think there was about 30 of us across two booths 
So 15 per booth. The rule was you get you hit a bullseye, you take a shot. Who was the first mug? I wasn't aiming for it. Who was the first mug to hit the bullseye? Me. <laughs> shot of tequila. Um, obviously, it was presented to me with a slice of lime, but as I showed uh, and as I said to Liz, um, where I come from, you don't do lime. You don't add fruit to your alcohol. You just take it as it comes. And that's what I did. So, uh, well well played from the NFL Scotland point of view. <laughs> so, yes, I also uh, bunched, uh, bumped into Richard Graves from Sky Sports in the hotel bar, and we had a good old chat about Charles Patterson. Uh, so I've got some goss on Charles. So the next time that we're sitting down with him, uh, we'll need to bring up some of that. Excellent. Look forward to that. <laughs> so on to week nine then, and lots to talk about. First of all, let's get the elephant that's in the room and hopefully going to stay in the room for a long time, San Francisco 49ers, the only unbeaten team in the NFL, 8-0, kicked off the whole week with what was a difficult but pleasing result against the Cardinals. Hasn't Emmanuel Sanders done well? Settling in. What a good, good pickup he's been. And I think that just takes you on to another level. I mean, we're not you're not going to go unbeaten this season. I mean, that's impossible. But what, what are you thinking at the moment? So, I mean, at the moment, I'm delighted. We, there's a lot of questions, and the same thing's been thrown at the Patriots, even more so now that they've played and lost to the Ravens. There's People are saying, obviously, the Niners haven't really faced any good teams yet. And I think the only thing I would say to that is that, well, two things. One, you can only beat the teams that are put in front of you. So you can't control that in the slightest. Um, fine, it may have been an easier schedule than several of the teams have had. But we've also gone to LA and beaten the Rams. We also hosted the high-scoring Panthers and restricted them and destroyed them. Um, so they are, they were, And they were both very convincing performances for different reasons. We went to Washington and the sort of game where the weather is so bad that it is an absolute equaliser and still managed to come away with a victory. We've done everything that we needed to do. Now, the schedule is about to get a whole ton tougher. And I think that the rest of the schedule is going to be a real challenge. Um, I think that as an absolute minimum, we should be hitting 10 and 6 now. But that's assuming we're going to lose six games. I think I've seen enough to say that we can do better than that. But I'm no, I'm nowhere near thinking this is a 16 and no. It's, I, it's not even a 14 and two. Um, there's some tough, tough games coming up. The games against the Packers, games against the Ravens. We've got to play the Saints. Um, we've got to play the Seahawks twice, um, and that's going to be a tough one. Um, we've seen Russell Wilson continues to be a threat, continues to dra- pick up that team by the scruff of his neck and drag it down the field time and time again. So I'm not, I'm never confident going in against the Seahawks. Uh, but what can I say? It's, it's been a brown start, and you're right. Emmanuel Sanders coming in is huge. I think the reason it's huge is because if we've got a threat out wide, then it opens up even more lanes for the run game. We've done this as well without Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. We've lost two of our start and offensive line and still been able to do this. So these players are still to come back. It's set up to be a success, but there's a long way to go. So that's obviously the success story. Let's give a tip of the cap to the Ravens for beating... The Patriots, I thought that was a really impressive performance all around Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson. They just outran them. I thought they outthought them. And also, despite the best protests of the referees, they were actually allowed to sack Tom Brady as well, which was interesting. I thought that was a really good win for them. I thought that, you know, that was a standout win because it was a really good statement win for them. I want to whirl through a couple of ones before we focus. We were going to talk a little bit about 
the cellar dwellers this week, based on the fact that we're not probably not going to talk an awful lot more about them as the weeks go on and we start to to look at the top. I think you've got to look at the story that's coming out of well both Green Bay and Los Angeles, and it came out from Aaron Rodgers himself, who seemed to suggest that the Packers may have had a little bit too much fun in Los Angeles before the game. Yes, I thought this was a, an interesting thing to come out. Um, I, I don't really know what to take of that. <laughs> it's a, an unusual one. I mean, it's the first home win against the Packers that the Chargers have ever had in franchise history, I believe. It is, yeah. Which is quite a statistic. Uh, the Packers going in there in fine form as well. You know, lots of people talking about them going to the Super Bowl. Is this going to be a Packers-Patriots Super Bowl? Um, you know, the the, the three... The, the conversation on the NFC side of things seems to be a, a little bit more muddy than it is on the AFC side. And there's been high things. I mean, I've been praising them myself. I, last week, we talked about those that have surpassed expectations and the Packers were absolutely there I expected more of this this season but because they've had such a good start I'm surprised now by this uh they really were lackluster uh, and Melvin Gordon uh looks to be back in business as well which is huge for the Chargers yeah I mean you're allowed a bad game in a season that's what you know if you look at the fact you know the Patriots got knocked off uh by the Ravens the Ravens got done in by the Browns so, you, you you know, you're allowed a bad game, you know, here and there. And I think Aaron Rodgers has basically come out, put his team on notice and said, that was our bad game. We're not doing that again. Simple. And I think it'll be very interesting to see where they move on from there. Looking at some of our, our, our cellar dwellers now, I mean, the Redskins, you know, they're now one and eight. The Redskins against the Bills was pretty one-sided. The Redskins tried to stay in it as much as they could, but the second they're behind, they have to go to the passing game and they don't have one. That seems to be the problem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run you through the four NFC teams uh, that are bottom of their division, and I want you to tell me who's going to have the worst record by the end of this. So it's Redskins are 1-8. and eight. The Bears are a mysterious 3-5. and five. They seem to be a real Jekyll and Hyde team. The Falcons are 1-7, and seven, and did not sack their coach. Now, that was the biggest shock for me of the bye week. And Arizona are 3-5-1. and one. Now, I'm going to guess it's between the Redskins and the Falcons, but who do you see, uh, you know, picking up the, the worst of the NFC? So I think it, it feels easy to pick them, but it does feel like the Redskins, just because they are so far away from looking like a team that could even win a game. I feel like the Falcons have enough power in their offense if Matt Ryan's back fit and he's and he is fit then we know that he's capable of doing good things with that offense and um, you look even at the week that Matt Schaub came in against the the Seahawks last week and he was like the biggest uh, he had the most yards of the whole week of everybody on offense the Falcons are okay it's the defense that they need to get things sorted out on so I think that the the Falcons will win a couple more before the end of the season. I I worry about the Redskins. I'm not sure where those victories are going to come from. The Bears as well. You say the Jekyll and Hyde. Well, they should go and hide, to be perfectly honest, more than <laughs> anything else, because they are just straight stinking now. Uh, and, you know, they this week in particular, uh, they come up against, a, you know, fine. They come up against a good Eagles team. Uh, they showed a little bit, more about themselves than they had done but it's still just not enough and Trubisky's just looking out of ideas I think that you know his, his 
stats for the game are pathetic. The first half in particular was just woeful. And I think that they're, they just look out of ideas. It's a, it looks like a head coach. It doesn't know what to do. Um, they've Apparently, they've simplified the, the playbook for them. But why are they needing to simplify the playbook? So, you know, in Trubisky, they've got a quarterback that I think doesn't have a future in Chicago. In Chase Daniel, they've got a quarterback sitting behind them that isn't any better. Uh, but at this point, why the hell not? Um, I got to sit and wonder, why did they not trade for Andy Dalton? When Andy Dalton got dropped at the Bengals, and you look at his numbers over the season, why did they not go and put Andy Dalton in? And actually, Dalton's a player I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see make that move to Chicago um, after the season's done and dusted. Uh, they're just bitterly disappointing. So I think the best off the bottom four is going to be the Cardinals. That's interesting. That really is interesting. I mean, for my take, I think you look at the Redskins and you think, where's your next win going to come from? I think that, that's the problem with them. I mean, the only thing you can say about the Redskins is they are playing what they consider to be a guy that will play for the next two or three years in Dwayne Haskins. So it's basically development time for him. And if you get the right kind of draft, you never know, you might be able to add some pieces in and around him. So I think, you know, they're, they're looking at it from a positive point of view that they, they have a quarterback that they can believe in. Uh, the Falcons do, obviously, Matt Ryan. I think you're right. They're going to win a game somewhere yeah. simply because they've got Matt Ryan. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Arizona have surprised me. I have to say, and if people have listened to previous podcasts, they'll know I'm not high on the new quarterback, but that's just the way it is. Uh, so that's interesting. Let, let's jump to the AFC. Um, the Broncos three and six, the Titans four and five, the Bengals zero oh and eight, and the Jets one and seven. Who is going to be bottom of the heap by the time that finishes? <laughs> well, it's got to be the Bengals because I don't know where the <laughs> Bengals are going to get a win from either. Um, it's between them and the Jets, though. And now, actually, legitimately, you know, we've been sort of. Poor Miami Dolphins fans have had it in the neck royally. Uh, yes. But the fact that the the Dolphins have gone there, well, they've not gone there, but they've they've turned up um, substantially more than the Jets did and won their first game since obviously that game against the Patriots in week 14 last year. They, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because they take themselves out of that number one pick slot. Although you got to think that the Jets aren't going to be going for a quarterback as bad as Sam Darnold seems to be at the moment. And he really does seem to be particularly bad. I well, don't no, think no, that's no, on no, him, no, no, hang on, hang on. Sam Darnold said last week he was seeing ghosts. This week he said he could see the field really well. I have to tell you, I've been in an NFL stadium. I saw the field pretty well as well. <laughs> It's hard to miss. There was a lot of green exactly. out there. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I, I, I worry when people, quarterbacks come out and say things like that. You almost just want to say, uh, Sam, uh, go and know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's it's the sort of troped out message of positivity for his coach as well. Uh, all is not well in, in New York, and either team, to be perfectly honest. But at least as to the same point with Kyler Murray... Um, with all the other guys that have, and, and Haskins at the Redskins. You know, this is season one for Daniel Jones come the Giants. On the other side of the city, Sam Darnold has regressed massively. Obviously, it's, he's had mono and he's not been so well, fine. We don't know how much that's impacting on him. 
But he's got Levy and Bell, who, fine, has been injured, but they've not really been using him. Uh, there are weapons there. There's some good receivers. Robbie Anderson's more than capable. Jameson Crowder's a good wide receiver. It's not like this is a team completely bereft of talent, but they look like they are. And I think, to be honest, it's it's a basket gase because it's Adam Gase that's the problem. <laughs> it's just, honestly, it's just, he's he's got to go. He's absolutely got to go. He's going to go at the end of the season, surely. I can't imagine any scenario where they where they keep him in, other than if the uh, the owner or and and the people that made the decision feel they've got a, a point to prove that they didn't make the wrong call. That can be the only reason that you keep him because it's just a shambles. It's a worse shambles than the Dolphins, and the Dolphins have given everyone away. Well, exactly, but it'd be like at the moment if for people who are listening to this podcast across the UK, Cameron and I are in Edinburgh at the moment. The two professional football teams in Edinburgh, Hearts sacked their manager Craig Levine last week. This week, Hibs sacked their manager Paul Heckenbotham. This would be like Hibs going to pick up Craig Levine and putting him in charge. Yeah. <laughs> because that's exactly what Miami, you know, Miami had Gase. They sacked him and the Jets went, oh, we'll have him. Yeah. In you come. I mean, I, I don't get it. He didn't even step back to be a coordinator again, which is usually what happens for the guys that fall off and it's not worked out for them. I mean, I, I still think that it, it was an incredible appointment that I don't think anybody saw coming. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Greg Williams sees the season out uh, in charge there. He should still be in charge in Cleveland. We've mentioned that before. Can I tell you, we, we normally we identify the, the most Scottish light fixtures, which we like to call the Bowfing Bowl. So on December the 1st, at Paul Brown Stadium, 1 o'clock in the States, 6 o'clock UK time, the New York Jets at the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> I don't even want to even think about it. But you know, at the same time, I thought the Jets-Dolphins game was fascinating for what it was. And this comes on to another point. We'll talk about this again later in the season. But this uh, change in the Pro Bowl, you know, and I've, I've said a few times, I would love to see the bottom two teams play a winner-takes-all for the number one pick. I would love to see that replace the Pro Bowl and give those two teams one last opportunity to win some damn respect for themselves come the end of the season. Um, and... Based on that, I will tune into these games because I want to see the car crash unfold. You know, that's a, that's a human thing, isn't it? You know, you just can't look a, can't look away. That's time every time there's been an incident on the motorway, everybody slows down to have a good old neb, and that's yeah. why we all get to work that late that day. So, <laughs> you know, I, it's a human instinct to just watch the car crash unfold. So uh, that I'll, that'll be fascinating. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch it. Can I make a little case here for the Broncos? Yes, and I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you what I did on Sunday night was I actually sat and found a, a, a radio stream of the Broncos-Browns game um, because I'm fairly sadistic that way. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to listen to a game and that, that's the one that I managed to get, you know, and I was really quite surprised by the positivity of the Denver broadcasters. I know they're home broadcasters, but they were quite positive. Uh, they were quite dismissive of the Browns, which which was quite right, I thought. But they've not got as bad a team as I think people think they have. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Broncos, you know, I mean, they're three and six at the moment. It wouldn't surprise me if they go seven and nine or, or even get an eight and eight. Um, I think there's a little bit of hope there. Brandon Allen certainly seemed to do a decent job with with Flacco out injured. And, of course, it was that weird weekend where you had three quarterbacks, all called Allen, winning. Yeah. 
<laughs> which which was bizarre. It's the first time that three quarterbacks with the same surname start in the same week and go three and zero in the Super Bowl era. Josh Allen, Kyle Allen, and Brandon Allen. It's not bad. Not bad at all. And I think. You know, he had a decent game, 193 yards, two touchdowns, zero interception in his debut. But how much of that comes with a little asterisk because it was against the Cleveland Browns, who are just have utterly regressed beyond any point that I thought they could have to to have lost that game. And to once again, their highlight being a punt from Jamie. Now, yeah. you know, and we, I don't mean that in any disrespect whatsoever to Jamie, because my God, he's out there doing his job. And didn't he make the most of that altitude in Denver? Um, but when they're the talking points, it's just awful. And I mean, the picture that's been doing the rounds of um, Baker Mayfield as well, and, and with a moustache and the ridiculous colombo outfit that he's wearing um it just was something else i just again it looks like a team bereft of ideas and 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 attacking threat which is ridiculous when you look at the players that are still on that team they still have chubb they still have odell beckham they should be doing way better than they're doing um you know other teams have got their excuses i don't know what theirs is no, I, I think Freddie Kitchens has been pretty much exposed. It was great listening to the radio and listening to, to Jamie doing so well in real time. I have to say I really, really enjoyed that. But there are dumpster fires in Cleveland that are looking at the Browns going, we're not as bad as that. You know, it's it's just it's ridiculous how they have gone. Now, there was a level of hype. There was a level of expectation. And I think quite a lot of it was actually justified. But they have just tumbled like, it's incredible. It'll be very interesting to see uh, where they where they finish this year. Yes, indeed. Um, and then it all wrapped up with the Cowboys doing a rather convincing job over the Giants. Um, I think if you're a Giants fan, and again, game coming up this weekend, so obviously it's the big derby. Um, no, we're not talking about Dundee. We're talking about uh, the New York one, uh, or the New Jersey one, really, as the Jets face off against the Giants. Uh, but you've got two quarterbacks that are in a bad state of affairs. Uh, Daniel Jones needs to stop giving that football away because he's just he's giving out Christmas presents left, right, and center. It's just tipped over into November. Yeah, I mean it's going to be a very interesting one. We've got a great giveaway coming up for uh, the Giants and the Jets. But the highlight of Monday Night Football was Kevin Harlan on the radio describing the cat. Absolutely. Trying to get in the end zone. Uh, they've already made a great, I think it's on NFL at ESPN, The Cat, A Football Life, yeah. <laughs> where 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 they've taken various clips of people talking about the cat. Uh, it's brilliant. If people have not had a chance to see it, uh, go and do that. And Kevin Harlan just showing on his call of that, just how a broadcaster can make a difference to a game. We, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, there was, was it the Titans that the... A cheerleader caught a pass. Yes. And you you thought that the, the broadcaster was quite salty. Um, I, I thought they missed a really good chance to have a good line. Kevin Harlan is one of these guys who doesn't miss the chance to have a little bit of fun. And he was outstanding again. Yeah, it was a great moment. And it is one of those moments that uh, just bring a bit of humour to the whole thing, uh, which is superb. Um, right, do you know what? There's so much to talk about tonight. Let's move on and let's go through some of the input that we've had for the awards this week. As we said at the top, we're not going to give out our own this time. We're going to focus on our mid-season MVP. But 
Let's go to some of the tweets that we've had. First up comes Polly, uh, regular listener, regular contributor. Thank you, Polly. His belter, Lamar Jackson, and Deshaun Watson between the two of them. Lamar Jackson really did do particularly well. Uh, Bowfin is the New York Jets. Uh, Bobag, uh, and he ends this one with hashtag I agree with Mitchell. So this is one that will be close to your heart, Paul. Whoever at the BBC decides it's a good idea to show loads off, I couldn't give a care about the NFL, but being here is good for my career type interviews during the London games. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, it, it's mind-numbing. I mean, you've got a panel with OC, with Jason Bell, Mike Carlson. You've got Nat Coombs hosting it. Brilliant people you want to hear from. Yet, let's go pitch side where somebody's going to ask two or three dumb questions to somebody that we may or may not have heard of. They're just thrilled to be at Wembley. They've always loved the NFL. No, they're not really sure what the rules are, but they're here to have fun anyway. There's all the interviews summed up. Yes, and, and the one for me was the English bowler. I don't know his name because I don't watch cricket, nor do I care. I just know that England won the World Cup because of an umpire error and they shouldn't actually have won it. But never mind, that's something else altogether. Um, but he, you know, they said to him, uh, and it was his first ever NFL game, and he was painted in Jacksonville Jaguars merch. So someone's like, have you got a team? No. Quick, get him some merch. So they <laughs> threw the merch on him. He got dipped in the teal uh, and now he went. And then that was it. I'm saying, oh, now the Jags are my team. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. See you later. Um, and they used to do fun things like the party patrol used to come out with the t-shirt cannons. There was loads of t-shirts given away and all that sort of stuff. I'll be honest, I quite like that. Rarely do the t-shirts make it up to the second tier, but there's always a chance. I'm immediately more engaged in that than... Yeah, some bowler being at his first game. Not of interest to me either. Move on, move on. Uh, right, okay. Uh, Maben X, he's been in touch. His belter pains me to say this, but to Harbaugh for his game plan versus the Patriots. Bowfin are the Jets. They lost to the Lolfins. I've not seen them called the Lolfins. That's a good uh-huh. term. I like that. Uh, and Bobag is Adam Gase. Absolute pretender. He'd struggle at high school. George Jackson, he says his belter is Lamar Jackson. Bowfin was Gardner Minshew and the rest of the Jacksonville offense only managing 120 yards in two quarters and four second half turnovers. Bobag, Jermaine Whitehead. I'm surprised this is the only nomination he got for this. Absolute rocket. Probably just punches walls with AB in his spare time. Um, and yes, if you aren't aware, the Jermaine Whitehead uh, tweets straight after the Browns game where he was basically giving the address of the Cleveland Browns stadium and saying, come meet me for a fight, I'll kill you. Um, and using racial terms as well, those tweets were deleted. And there was a message put up that he'd be dealt with. And sure enough, rightly so, he was sacked. Um, and yeah, that uh, deserves to be, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, um, I, I don't think there's a better award than, than that. I think... There is a difference, and this is the danger of people going straight to their phones, because they're obviously you go look at Twitter, you see the stick that you're getting, and you immediately want to fire back. The best way to do it is with a little bit of humility. I'll tell you one thing I hate, but there's quite a lot to be honest, but we've not got all day. One of the things that I really hate is players apologising for bad performances, because, because nobody goes out to have a bad day. Nobody goes out to play poorly. Nobody goes out to drop the pass. Nobody goes out to get, you know, the ball stripped away from them. These things happen. That's why it's sport. That's why we play on a field and not just say, well, actually, if we look at it, your team's better than them. You'll probably win by 10 points. We'll not bother playing. Things happen. Let's just move on. You know, let's stop 
you know, criticizing athletes. I mean, you know, you get people who tag athletes in their tweets. You know, you had a disgraceful game today, you know, at so-and-so. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And you're just thinking, no, mate, that that's not right either. Yeah. So, but I, I'm pleased. Well, you, you never like to see anybody lose their job, but I'm sorry, in those circumstances... Yes, absolutely. Only, only possible outcome. Yeah. Uh, couple more here to go through. Lauren Callahan, he says his belter is Lamar Jackson for his performance in beating the evil empire. I don't know who he means. Also, the MetLife Kitty for killing the Giants' momentum for the rest of the game. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think about it like that. I don't think. I don't think they had any momentum. Um, Bowfin goes to the Jets, losing to the Dolphins for God's sake. Although he did call it in his pick'em this week. And his ball bag goes to Adam Gase. Perhaps he is still on Miami's payroll. Uh, Alan Morrison, his belter, is Lamar Jackson for taking out the Pats. Bowfin is the Jets. Ball bag for him is the Colts holder. Lacey's out. Oh, Have you yeah. never... If, you know, if Ace Ventura has taught us nothing else, we know <laughs> Lacey's out. Um, anyway. Oh, uh, that, that really did irk me because I had actually gone for, for the Colts. I would point out that I did pick the Dolphins as well. Some breaking news coming in. The Jets have just signed the cat. They like to find somebody that finds <laughs> an end zone in, in New Jersey Stadium. They've signed the cat. It's a three-year deal. He's expected to outlast Adam Gase. So last one to, to go over is Ian got in touch. His belter, and I have to mention this one, Jimmy G, lighting it up against the Cardinals D. I'll touch on that as well very briefly. Very good performance from Jimmy G. Showed that we're not a run-only uh, defense, uh, defense, offense. Uh, four touchdowns, most for a Niners quarterback since 2012. I think it's his record for most amount of touchdowns in a single game as well. Bowfin, Jets, enough said. Ball bag. And this made me go and look when I saw this. I, I went to go and look to see what happened. I'm not sure what this totally means. Adam Gase for getting fired on the pan and losing to the Dolphins. So, when he said fired on the pan, I was like, has Gase been sacked whilst he's been sat on the toilet? So, I'm not entirely sure what fired on the pan means, but um, it's gone to Adam Gase anyway. That's a strange one. We've been to Louisiana and heard worse. Yeah. Um, can, can I just, I, I like to give the odd tip of the cap. How about to, to JJ Watt, who tweeted, I'm not allowed to tweet during our game. I'm not sure. So let's just say at the halfway point of the morning, I'm happy that I have had nine cups of coffee and my neighbours only had three cups of coffee. We'd love to see that lead increase throughout the second half of the morning. I just thought that was great from JJ Watt. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right, so we did say that Mid-season MVP conversation. So, Paul, who have you got for this one? I think there is only one guy that you can give it to because what, what I will tell you is you look for people who do something that is virtually unique or so, so difficult. Now, this guy joined Pro Football Hall of Famer Jim Brown, 1963, and Matt Forte in 2011 as the only players to have 150-plus scrimmage yards in six of their team's first eight games in NFL history. It's got to be Christian McCaffrey. There is no other way than you can put it on Christian McCaffrey. Look, look at the weekend. 166 scrimmage yards, 146 rushing yards involved in that. Two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown, and of course the 58-yarder. To me, he's the guy. He is a running back that you pay to watch, you want to see, and he makes a difference. Now, you can talk about Russell Wilson. You can talk about, you know, the defensive work of Bosa, etc., etc. But to me, at this moment, and Russell Wilson has been amazing. You know, he's got the most touchdowns in the NFL and the least interceptions. 
Christian McCaffrey. Argue against that. Uh, I'm I'm going to struggle, but here's the thing. So if I look at the Pro Football Writers Association NFL MVP awards, I'm looking at that one in particular, right? We look back at previous winners. It is quarterback, 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 running back. Adrian Peterson uh, was nominated that when he was, what, seven yards away from breaking the all-time season record. Um, yep. Because of that performance, that's where Christian McCaffrey comes into play. I think he needs to beat a single season record or come within inches of it for them to actually take him seriously. But I agree with you. I think, you know, if you've got him in fantasy football, you're winning your league. If you've not got him in fantasy football and you're not in the top four, then you've made an absolute shambles of the rest of that thing. Um, because <laughs> he's he's just he's, he's just points. It's unreal. And he does do it week after week. Fine, there's the odd game, like the, the first game against the Buccaneers where the Bucks managed to stop him. They found a way to deal with him. Uh, but teams try and set up to fight against them and struggle to do so fine san francisco did a slightly better job of sort of limiting the number of explosive plays he had but he still had them and when he has them he goes to the house and that's the thing he goes all the way to the house i think the only the only people that could potentially come into the conversation alongside him would be russell wilson and lamar jackson i think that if you're looking at a quarterback you've got to look at one of those two guys and it's because they are so influential in their team's good seasons. Russell Wilson continues to put up absolutely tremendous stats. You know, five touchdowns at the weekend, five passing touchdowns, which is a tied career high. And then Lamar Jackson is just absolutely tremendous. He is a threat through the air and on the ground. Yes, it's on the ground first. First and foremost, it is a run game. But he has improved so much year on year, that if it is going to end up at a quarterback, I think it ends up at one of those two. And I think as well, if you look back at the stats in this as well, and it is quarterback, running back, quarterback, running back, all the way up until you get to 1986 when Lawrence Taylor won it, the New York Giants. And then it goes back to running back, quarterback, running back, quarterback, until you get to 1982. Uh, and Mark Mosley, the kicker, won it. Uh, I'm glad we weren't watching the NFL when a kicker won MVP. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm slightly older than you. I was watching it in 1982. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I hadn't, I, I was, yeah, I was going to say I hadn't left school. No, I hadn't left school, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm still at school. Just. Night Just. school. Oh, no. Night school. Uh, yeah. for, a few, for, for a few years yet, don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry. So, yeah, defensively, throw anybody on that side of the ball, taking your, or sparking your interest here. I think that, it's, it's some of the rookies for me. I think that Nick Bosa's performance so far this season has been absolutely tremendous. Uh, I think that if you look at the the, the season stats so far, it's and the fact that he's a rookie, you know, he, he's definitely in the conversation for defensive rookie of the year. Although Allen uh, um Jacksonville's done really well as well. But these guys then are going to be in the contention for the main thing for defensive player of the year. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, any anybody called Bosa seems to have done pretty well this year. So I'm all for that. And, you know, we'll, we'll dig a little bit more deeper yes. into the offensive side in weeks to come. But it is interesting, isn't it, Cameron, that, you know, it's always the offensive players that, that come and take the highlights. That's just how it is. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't particularly have a problem with that. But I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk in greater detail about the defensive. Players. But I think if anybody at the moment has the right to be in that top conversation, then to me it is Nick Bosa. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Right, okay, before we get into news, because there's loads of news, let's look ahead to week 10, and let's just run through our pick six this week, because there's a, there's a few non-contests, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, that, you know, when we do the pick six, we always try and make it the interesting games that are hard to call. Um, Jets-Giants doesn't, possibly, but it feels like there's more than enough on the Giants. Saints-Falcons feels like a bit of a non-event. Uh, Titans-Chiefs as well, if Mahomes is back. Ravens-Bengals, mm, Browns-Bills, you know, these aren't necessarily Colts-Dolphins, these aren't games that are necessarily tight. But there is, I think I've managed to get six games here that are pretty tough to call. So we're going to kick off this one with the Cardinals at the Buccaneers. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, the, the cards are steady. They've done an awful lot better. But I think it's about time that the Buccaneers actually try to build on that win in Los Angeles. They've come close a couple of times. You know, they, they put up a good uh, fight in Seattle. But I think it's time for them to start doing it in front of the pirate ship. So Buccaneers for me. Okay. So, um... I actually have the Cardinals in this one, and I'm really swithering with this because they're both capable of being utter mints, and they're both capable of showing signs of a good streak through them. I thought that Kenyon Drake's performance showed that this is a team that's very, very capable. Interesting, though, that the Bucks seem to be quite good against the run. Um, the worry would be, if I'm a Cardinals fan, the fact that the Niners have done so much damage through the air we know that Jameis Winston with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin can do damage through the air. But I think this is one of these games where there's going to be an awful lot of running around done by Kyler Murray, by Kenyon Drake. Uh, and there, actually, there's a chance that David Johnson could be fit for this one as well, although it's probably not that likely. Um, I think the Cards can take confidence from their performance in the second half against the Niners. They really came back into that game. An amazing touchdown by Andy Isabella. So there's enough talent in there with Larry Fitzgerald and, and co for the Cardinals to come and cause some damage. So I've got the Cardinals there. Next one is the Lions at the Bears. Now this is interesting because the Lions simply don't seem to be able to finish a game. And I'm really struggling as to wonder why why that is. They seem to have a mental hurdle. You know, they should have taken the Chiefs, they should have taken the Cardinals early in the season, and they had really good opportunities to take the Raiders as well. And I think it's their lack of finishing that will fall short. I think the Bears have been poor. I think the Lions are more than capable of winning there. Um, but I'm going to go with the Bears because I think they've got to start to sort things out. And this is the kind of game that the alarm bells will ring for the coaching staff if they don't beat the Lions at home. Yeah, it's a tough one. and I think the fact that this is in Chicago makes it a, a much bigger swing in their direction. I think that the Lions... The, the Lions need to make sure that Matt Stafford has time to, to distribute the ball. And if he gets the time to do that, then they can really damage the Bears. But I, I agree with you on this one. I think that the Bears do enough at home. I think they break this horrible run of form uh, and these bad performances and, and get something in there that, uh, that they need. And that's a much-needed win. Um, I think that they need to... They need to play at their best. I think if they don't, then the Lions can absolutely decimate them. Uh, but you've got to say, David Montgomery seems to be coming into a, a bit of form now as well. I think they've found a way to use him. So I think that'll continue to happen. And they need to just make sure that they don't have to rely on Trubisky. Because if they do, then they're going to struggle. Game yep, three absolutely. This, yeah, yeah. Game three this week is the Panthers at the Packers. 
Well, the Packers have to bounce back. I mean, you know, they cannot have left their heart in L.A. Uh, they need to get their backsides in gear and beat what is shaping up to be a pretty decent Panthers team. Again, I mean, I mentioned that if the Bears lost to the Lions, the alarm bells will be ringing. I mean, Aaron Rodgers may need to have a stern word with himself and possibly even speak to the coach um, and actually let the coach choose one or two plays along the way. The Packers <laughs> Packers can't afford to lose this. This is, this is a non- Lost game for the Packers. They cannot afford to lose this. Indeed, and do you know what? I think they're going to. I think that the Panthers are going to come in, and that that man that we've just been chatting about, uh, Christian McCaffrey. This Packers defense is set up to pass rush, but the Panthers don't really play the pass all that much. Screen pass potentially to Mister McCaffrey, but I yep. think once he gets into that secondary, he's going to have an absolute field day. I think he's going to have a 200-yard game, at least two touchdowns. And I think that the Panthers are going to win this one with ease. And I think that there's going to be chat of a crisis in Green Bay on the back of it. Uh, I think they'll give them a bit of a spanking, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah. I, I think I think this is going to be a side bet game yeah. for us. Uh, because you you have really gone to town on this. This is you already owe me a bucket of chicken wings for the last one. I think we go double or nothing on the chicken wings here. <laughs> now there's only so many chicken wings that you can have. So I tell you what, right? Um, if we'll double or nothing it down. If you win, um, it'll be chicken wings and a dessert. Um, oh. And uh, if I win, then we'll call it quits. <laughs> Because I'm going to win. So sounds fine. like it. Sounds like a good deal. I'll uh, I'll I'll go on a diet because I'm going to be eating a lot quite soon. Yeah, fine. Cool, <laughs> cool. Um, game four is the Rams at the Steelers. Right, I've played it safe and gone with the home teams. I'm going to go with the away team here. Now, I think the Steelers have got something in Mason Rudolph. I think they're starting to figure out how to work. Um, how to work him in and how to make things happen. But the Rams, I mean, you know, I'm not a fan of the Rams here. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I really question Jared Goff. So I think we're getting to that stage. This is week 10 coming up. This is, this is, without <laughs> everything you do as a broadcaster, you try and avoid sounding in the least bit sexist because people take offense to this. This is big boy football time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I and I think the Rams, just like the Packers, this is statement time. You know, the Rams have been knocked a couple of times this season. Are they for real? You've got to go in to Pittsburgh. Great stadium, great atmosphere, knowledgeable fans. Um, they've got some great fans. I'm married to one. Um, they've got to go in and actually say, no, no, we're the team that's going to the playoffs this year. This is our, you know, road win. So I'm going with the Rams. Just you wait until uh, that Steelers fan that you've listened that you're married to is uh, listens into this podcast. Um, the Steelers are going to win at something this weekend if she does listen in. Let me tell you, <laughs> and you're losing that one. Yep. Um, I agree with you. Thought the Rams are going to win this one. I think that um, even yeah, out of the bye week, they've got you know Cooks. I don't know if Cooks is going to be back or not, but they've got Cooper Cup and Robert Woods who are both playing particularly well. Gurley, questionable, fine. Henderson seems to be stepping in from time to time. There's more than enough of a threat on this Rams team to do enough damage. I I agree with you as well. I think that the Steelers actually, there's little um, shoots of green around there that they can be optimistic about, and that's a good thing for them. But I think that up against a really good team, um, even though this is in Pittsburgh, 
I think the Rams do come away with an important win in that one. So, yeah. Right, game five. Uh, So it's the Vikings at the Cowboys. See, I kind of thought you would call for this one. This is really interesting because I I like the Vikings. I thought Kirk Cousins failed on the last two drives, but I didn't think he was helped by the play calling against the Chiefs, so they easily could have won that particular game. So this is a tough one. I think the Vikings have got to try and come out and win this one on the road because, again, it's, it's a statement game. The Cowboys, I think, know that they're the best team in their division, they're going to win their division no matter what I suspect. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to go for the Vikings to upset Jerry Wilmot this week. And of all the games I've put, I think this one is actually the closest as to which way this could come down. You've got yep. Dalvin Cook and Matheson obviously um, doing really well as a dual threat running back combo now. Uh, Diggs and Thielen's back. Kirk Cousins is having some good games. The Cowboys though can show at times exactly how good they can be. I thought it was a great touchdown by Michael Gallup. Showed great vision to find the end zone. Amari Cooper showed the threat that he is. And obviously, Ezekiel Elliott's perhaps not had as much of a blockbuster season as he's had previously, but he's still getting the yards, getting his team where they need to be. They are a threat. They're a threat on defense as well. This one's at home. I've got a Cowboys winning here. That's interesting. I mean, as you were mentioning, Michael Gallup, I got sent a note from Scott Gardner, our friend up at, up in Inverness, who works with Inverness, Cali Thistle, who sent me that touchdown. So I was watching it as you were you were talking about it, and it was, it was quite incredible. But I think the Cowboys, I, I sometimes question their intensity. Uh, I mean, they are that, but they're the best team in that division, and they're going to come through it. Can they be in a good place when it comes to the playoffs? Yeah. Well, this is it. And I think this is what they need to focus on as well. The the one thing that might count in their favour for keeping them focused is the fact that the Eagles are on a little bit of form now themselves. So they can't, you know, they can't count their chickens or eagles before they're hatched. Um, it's, it's not enough of a gap that they can be complacent. Similarly, you've got the situation with the Vikings now are going, oh, hang on a minute, the Packers showed a little sign of weakness there in LA. They've got another tough game this weekend. Here's our opportunity to establish ourselves at the top of that division. So there's a lot to play for and a lot on the line for the Vikings. So for me, this is an absolute cracker game. I I think it'll be fascinating to watch. The last one, though, the sixth one, you can imagine where I've gone here, and I I don't even need to tell you what my pick's going to be. I'll be picking (laughs) the Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers. You're a big chicken. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'll pick against you. I'll go with the, the 49ers. I think this is a great matchup because we mentioned Russell Wilson as a possible MVP. I think he's the likely MVP. I mean, I want Christian McCaffrey at the moment, but, you know, the Seahawks are running. You know, if, if he's hot, they're hot. It'll be a great test of the 49ers defense. I think you outlined exactly how they managed to stop the likes of the Panthers and McCaffrey. It's also a big game for for Garoppolo because I think the good thing for the 49ers this year, and I don't know if you agree with this, is that they've won some games without Jimmy G necessarily playing well. And I think that's a good sign at this stage. You have got that 8-0 record. He's not been perfect in all the games, but you're still there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, And you're right. It shows that there's character in this team. And actually, against the Cardinals, I thought they showed character. Uh, I I had Friday off uh, last week, so actually I, I didn't watch the game live. I recorded it, got up first thing in the morning, and thought, right, I'm going to sit down and really enjoy every single second of this. 
And the first drive, I was like, oh, I've maybe picked the wrong game to do this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just didn't look ourselves. We were really rusty. Uh, and it took that first drive for us to kind of blow out the cobwebs. After that, found a bit of form. I was a little bit worried when George Kittle went down. I thought, oh, no, here we go. But he went out for a couple, came back in, scored a brilliant touchdown as well. Absolutely bulldozered his man to get into the, the end zone. And after that, we showed a lot of character to get ahead in the game. But then the Cardinals fought back. And it was the drive at the end of the game where we just needed to keep the ball. And you know what? Everything that needed to be done was done. It was done exactly right. And they got exactly the right amount of yards to get into position where they could take a knee and see out the game as the Cardinals were finding a bit of form late in the game which has happened so many times with the Cardinal games uh, right back to the first game of the season that's what they've done later on in the game if they're even close they've shown that they can be a threat so we managed it really well and I thought it was a really good team performance all over without necessarily other than I would say maybe Sanders there was no one player really stood out as an absolute star whereas likes of Bosa had done so much against the Panthers and that's the types of games where you need to go away on the road on a Thursday night and get a vital win. So it shows character. But this is the luckiest team in the NFL that we're coming up against. I don't know if I've mentioned that. Um, <laughs> and if ever there's a team is going to run and end our unbeaten run, I know it's Seattle. So if they don't get us this time, they'll get us on the flip. But um, they will... I, I, I just think Russell Wilson, if he can evade the San Francisco defenders he could do an awful lot of damage on that secondary. Uh, and I wonder whether he'll look to target Mr. Sherman or not. So time will tell on that one. But Lockett's coming into form. Metcalf is starting to become a threat. They've obviously got Josh Gordon, who might be back off. Um, I, I don't know if he's capable to play or not because he's been on IR, but I think he can. So um, interesting to see if he comes into there. Carson as well on the ground can be threatening. So I think we face a really tough match in this one um, and therefore of course all season long I've backed against them uh, we haven't lost so I'm going to continue to do it simple as that um, right news then Paul because there's an awful lot of it what's been taking your fancy you know I, I read on Twitter this morning that, that, that there was a journalist and I don't want to do the guy down but you know the story you know the the LA Chargers are a prime candidate to go to London and then you start to get the oh we'd love a team in London you know the Chargers would be great and you start to get the same old same old same old and my first thought was oh just not again I mean a team coming to London and summer football are the two things guaranteed to make me fall asleep. So the Chargers owner, Dean Spanos, has come out on Twitter. Now, people might have seen this by the time they hear the, the podcast. And I, I'm going to read it out because I'm not sure if he nails it here or whether he's left it quite open. Uh, the full quote from Chargers owner, Dean Spanos, it's total effing bullshit, OK? We're not going to London. We're not going anywhere. We're playing in Los Angeles. This is our home. This is where I'm planning to be for a long effing time, period. Now, I don't know whether he's left enough wriggle room there. <laughs> it's a bold statement. That with the clip that they've put in from the Wolf of Wall Street is brave. I mean, they are basically saying there is nothing in this. We're shutting it down. Don't be ridiculous. But not only are we not moving to London, we're not moving full stop. And there's been so many people questioning the success of the Chargers. Can they be a success? Obviously waiting to move into the shared stadium with the Rams. The Rams, since moving to LA, have been back to a Super Bowl, have perhaps captured the imagination of the fans. You know, 
the Rams coming back to LA. They they had some history there. The San Diego Chargers, as the LA Chargers, have not transpired into a team that has any great following. And actually, there, I think it was against the Steelers where the footage came out from the game, and it looked like it was a Steelers home game at that tiny little ground that they've got because it was predominantly terrible towels that were being whipped around the heads of the fans. Um, so there's definitely question marks around how engaged the, the Los Angeles uh, audience is with the Chargers. When it comes to the London thing, it's always going to be the go-to place. And I think this is it. Because it's because they've been quite vocal, because there's been so much done, it by default will be the first place mentioned when it comes to team location. So any story of teams looking to re- relocate, it will be London. Before it was London, before the Rams and the Chargers went back, it was always LA. There's always a team going to LA until there's a team there. So I think, unfortunately, from a headlines point of view, we're going to get this chat until such time as we do it. What I thought was interesting, and it was someone pointed this out to me was they but the story i think believed that the chargers if they were to come to london this is all very hypothetical they would rejig the divisions so that the texans would move to the afc west the dolphins would move to the afc south and the chargers in london would be the afc east which i thought was interesting because that removes a weak team from the afc east which is a bit of a non-starter as a division so we'd make that division slightly better would be an interesting edge into that afc south and actually the texans ending up in the afc west would make that a bit more of an interesting division because you'd have the texans and the chiefs coming head to head so as an outcome i was okay with that um but if that was going to happen The final point on this was, surely, to goodness, you would have to, uh, if you're in the same division as the Patriots, you have to call them the London Red Jackets. Or the Red Coats, sorry. <laughs> so you can have the Red Coats against the Patriots twice a season. That's just money. That, that's maybe a bit Vince McMahon for the NFL. But you know what? That's a, that's a rivalry waiting to happen, surely. I do like that idea, but that's probably about the only thing I like about the, <laughs> the, the NFL coming to London. I think... You know, I, I've argued and will argue four games a year, I think, is amazing. Over two stadiums, getting to see all the teams, it's a unique atmosphere. I think if you turn it into a franchise, you will kill the success of it because people will lose, you know, the affinity for, for teams. You you could grow it, but you could end up, you know, I mean, if, if this London team was to have a season like the Jets were having or the Bengals were having, you know, it's not just a London fan base. It's people, you know, actively traveling over from Germany, from Scandinavia, from Scotland, from Ireland. There's so many people travel to make that happen. I'm not convinced that that would be a success. And I'm quite happy to argue that w- with anybody. I think there's, you know, I think there's too many logistical things uh, that, that don't make it happen. I still think there's too many other great places in the States that actually want a team. But it was interesting because you're getting all the, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd support the team. I'd give up my team and I'll go and support the London Chargers or whatever. Chargers are one of my favorite teams in the NFL. I would go nowhere near them if that was to be the case. I think they should go back down to San Diego. What is interesting, I was going to say this to you, I mean, Green Bay dominated the crowd there on Sunday. Um, that's not unusual. It's what it's what happens. What what has surprised me, in a good way, is the fact that Charger fans have decided not to make that two and a half three hour drive up from San Diego to follow the Chargers in Los Angeles. They basically said, you know, adios. We'll watch on television, but I'm certainly not going three hours up the road to watch you. Yeah, and I don't really blame them to be perfectly honest. So. 
Um, it's a relocated team. It's just it's just not the same team. It's it's a difficult. How many people are going to travel from Oakland to Las Vegas? Actually, do you know what's different, isn't it? Trip to Vegas. That's a, that, why that, not? That's a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's still on the NFL Scotland list of possibilities <laughs> as well. So um, although we may have to say that you know we'd behave ourselves. Of course. Um, Interesting to see that the Dolphins have put themselves forward for the international games next year and are willing to give up a home game. That's already put in. Now, obviously, they've not said that they're going to come to London, but you would imagine that that would be a likely destination. And if they do end up at the bottom with a whole lot of these draft picks, actually, that might not be a bad thing for us to get the Dolphins next season. You should be writing political manifestos between <laughs> now and the end of December because you can sell. You can say, I'm sorry, no thanks. <laughs> Excited about the Dolphins coming to London. Holy moly. No. <laughs> I, I check, you, you've not been hurt today. You've not bumped your head anywhere. Not that I'm or, aware of. Right. That's fine. I'll, I'll get in touch with, with Missy Teach and just check that you're okay and your carers are still there. <laughs> Uh, dear. Oh. Right, <laughs> quarterback chat, IR, one comes off, one goes on. Nick Foles has come back off and is immediately named the starter for the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 11. Minshew Mania is dead. We'll come on to that. The other one, uh, Captain Newton has been put on IR. Uh, his season is over. Is his Carolina Panthers career over? Two questions for you. Well, I, I, I like the questions. I think the, there was always a problem with Cam, and I think we saw it coming. Can you be out for a while and come back? Andrew Luck showed, yes, you can. So I'm not going to write off Cam Newton. He's a talented guy. This might be the chance to focus, get himself back together, and work on coming back to professional football. Is it necessarily a bad thing for Carolina? No. They've got a winning formula at the moment. Keep going with that. Now, flip that with the Nick Foles. I think Doug Marone has fooled a few people because he said he, you know, he'll think and take his time. There was no way Minshew was staying in. You have paid all that money to Nick Foles to come and lead your team. You're fit. You go in. You say to Gardner Mitchell, thank you very much. You did a brilliant job. You know, you are our backup. We don't want you going anywhere. You know, give him an increased contract. Do something, you know, because he's proven he can do what he's there to do. And that is to be the backup quarterback. But I, I'd leave him alone, definitely at the moment, and put Nick Foles in because you know you've got the guy sitting behind you. Interesting, just talking about a little bit about quarterbacks, with so Joe Flacco being out, Joe Flacco is being widely praised for the way that he helped Allen prepare for Sunday's game and the win over the Browns. Hmm. That's not something that we've ever heard of Joe Flacco get praised no, for helping it, another quarterback. It's not, but I, I tell you, I mean, I, I've, I've already mentioned, I listened to the... Uh, the Broncos broadcast team and they mentioned it a couple of times that he'd been in the quarterback room all week apparently quite diligently helping his man out is it wrong of me that I'm immediately cynical to stuff like that after him going up in front of the press then ending up on IR and now we're hearing that he's being all super positive and helping other quarterbacks this doesn't sound like Joe Flacco like in any shape or form. Next thing you'll be telling me that Ben Roethlisberger's been doing the same for Mason Rudolph and they've been bunking up and sharing a, a bunk together so that they can chat through the night about great plays that Ben can help them out with. No. Well, Big, big so, Ben's sleepovers are legendary yeah, anyway. Are. But I, I think <laughs> there's a difference. As long as you don't end up on the boat, that's what you've got to avoid. <laughs> I think there's a difference between an organisation picking a guy in the first round 
which in which really impacts on you personally. And that's what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, who I think they got it right. They did the right thing. Um, Allen's not that guy for me. And I don't think Joe Flacco sees him as direct competition. I think Flacco's probably thought, you know what? I might not behave myself as people would expect. I'm going to be the good teammate here because I know when I'm fit, I'm coming back in by large. I think that's probably what he thought. Um, so let's wait and see if that, that positive story continues. But I think they've done the right thing with Nick Foles. I think the Saints did the right thing with bringing back Drew Brees. You bring back the guy that you're paying an absolute fortune to win football games for you. Indeed. Right. Well, I think we're well over the hour mark now. So that concludes everything then for episode 74. Keep your feedback coming and make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash ScotlandNFL. Please keep sharing the podcast, give us a review on iTunes and get in touch with us with any thoughts, comments or subjects you'd like to see us cover on the podcast. We'll be back next week to once again go over our weekly awards. Keep them coming, we love reading them. So it'll be week 10 for your belter, your bowfin and your ballback highlights. We've also got that giveaway coming up this week so keep an eye on our Twitter account. Yeah, brilliant New York giveaway. The Jets against the Giants. You don't have to watch the game to take part in the giveaway. You'll be relieved to know. <laughs> Remember to make your selections in our McBookie Pick'em competition. Enjoy week 10. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the highlights. But until then, bye for now. <laughs>